Midnight Facts for Insomniacs. <laughs> I just learned something. Oh, I'm having fun now. Anyway, that's all I got. And another abrupt end to a mini episode. <laughs> they will case. always be. I'm never I know, going to ever. I'm not going to perfect that, and I'm not going to try. No, I enjoy that it bothers you. <laughs> I see it in your beady little eye holes. I'm going to make these as abrupt and jarring as I can. <laughs> I dig it. I don't know about you, Duncan, but when I was a kid, there were two things I was obsessed with. Mm. Two kind of childhood institutions. Okay. And I think we're probably going to cover both of them at some point. Uh, one of them was the Guinness Book of World Records. You're obsessed with the Guinness Book of World Records? Not now, but as a child. You didn't do that? You didn't go to like the school library and check out all the Guinness Book of World Records and go through like the longest fingernails? and. No, I mean, I, I owned one of them, but that wasn't, I hadn't bought it. I think somebody had given it to me as like a shit Christmas present. But yeah, I couldn't have given a fuck. Well, it wasn't a shit Christmas present to me. Right. You, had, you didn't appreciate what you had. You spoiled little bastard. <laughs> the other one, though, is the topic for today, and that was Ripley's Believe It or Not. Oh, these. Okay. Yeah. I remember watching the TV show once or twice, but that was about all I had. The TV show. Yeah. I, so not with actual Ripley. That no. was like way before. But they, yeah, they had like a reboot. Yeah. Just like now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they were just as out of ideas back then. Did you ever go to the museums or anything? No, no, you've never been to a Ripley's Believe It or Not museum, like down at uh, Pier 39, San Francisco? Nope. I've been to a couple of them. Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of like a like a modern, slightly less offensive freak show, basically. Got they don't it. have like live people in cages or anything. They just have like wax figures of them. And it's it's toned down for modern sensibilities. Got it. But it's a freak show. Come look at Walrus Boy. Don't you point and laugh at him. He's got a condition. That's pretty much it. Yeah. It's like, we know now that this is not a freak, but still feel free to take photos. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know anything about Ripley's Believe It or Not or Ripley himself? Nada. Nothing. Perfect. By the end of this, you will. Whether you like it or not, I guess. I, I'm waiting to care, but I am the literal definition of a captive audience. <laughs> You're standing in front of the door. Hey, I got fuck all. Well, hey, I didn't choose this, so I guess you can yell at the insomniacs. But I did find this one interesting. Yes. And I've always liked about Ripley's Believe It or Not that they sort of, it, it gives you options. Hmm. It's like you could believe that we're going to tell you some things of dubious... <laughs> veracity and you know you don't have to believe it and honestly you should exercise that option sometimes <laughs> so one of the famous facts that ripley's believed or not posted was that you could see the great wall of china from the moon they're kind of responsible for spreading that really so yeah, yeah you know believe it or not and <laughs> I, not but the history of ripley's believed or not pretty interesting let's talk about leroy robert ripley all right he went by roy or bob in his personal life he was born back in 1890, grew up in California, not uh, not too far from this podcast studio, at least not far by car these mm. days, Santa Rosa, California. Oh, not bad. Okay. It's only a couple hours away from here by freeway. Back then it would have been, I guess, a trek. Mm. I have spent time in Santa Rosa. It's a scenic little place. Have you been there? Not that I can recall, but I can't recall a lot of places I've been. <laughs> time and alcohol have taken their toll. Well, back in the 1900s, the early 20th century, when Ripley was born, it was basically just a dusty Wild West ghost town. Hmm. It was the middle of nowhere. And Ripley's family, very poor. Ripley was often clothed in ill-fitting garments, like hand-me-downs and things. He had possibly one of the worst cases of snagglemouth I've ever seen. Oh. Have you ever seen a picture of Robert Ripley? 
No, but I'm just picturing some sort of sawtooth lamprey version of things. That's accurate. His mm. dental condition has been described as buck teeth. Mm. That is a generous description. Oh. I think it would be fair to classify his teeth as a deformity. M- moose teeth? Let me show you a couple pictures of Robert Ripley. All right. Why do I feel like this episode is going to be chock full of pictures I don't necessarily want to see? Oh, but he's a little cutie in that picture. He's like, oh, look at your teeth. That was him later in life. That is less cute. <laughs> you look like a serial killer who wants to gnaw on my testicles. Uh, That's see. Jimmy the Squeal. So, yeah, he was not an attractive fellow, I think it would be fair to say. Mm. Unless you're really into chipmunks, in which case, that is the man for you. But don't cry for Ripley, Argentina. Mm. Later in life, when his cartoon had a readership of some 60 million people, and he was making the 1930s equivalent of over $100,000 a week, he would get his teeth fixed, but only partly. Uh, He actually instructed the dentist not to completely straighten his grill, because by then, those crooked teeth had kind of become his trademark. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are certain things that are just your calling card. That's that's my thing. Dental problems. It's it's how you know I'm coming. (laughs) Because you can see the teeth a week before I get there. Yeah, his teeth kind of remind me of one of, like, in front of a train, what mm. they put on there to, like, push cows out of the way or whatever. I think it's called a cow pusher or something, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's called a cow pusher. Check it out. I, I think it's that. I, it's something like that. Especially, it's like, cow is in the name. It's a cow catcher. Cow catcher. There we go. That's Which, it. actually, your version is more accurate. Yeah. This doesn't catch <laughs> cows. That'd be weird. Batter up. Oh, that'd be terrifying. It just yeah. snags cows as it goes by. And like, Mine now. I don't like that at all. No. So throughout his life, Ripley also had a stutter, and it is no surprise that at school he was kind of an outcast. I don't think it would be a stretch to say that his fascination with oddities and outliers has its origins in that sense of not belonging, of Mm. feeling like an outsider. Mm. Ripley's father died when he was young, and so Ripley dropped out of high school to help support his family. He's a good son. Mm. He had always had a knack for drawing and was soon working as a sports cartoonist at San Francisco's Bulletin newspaper. Wikipedia claims that he was already publishing in newspapers by age 16, but a very well-researched PBS documentary has a copy of the first newspaper that ever featured uh, Ripley's illustration. It was the February 22nd, 1909 issue of The Bulletin, and if his commonly cited birth year of 1890 is correct, then Ripley would have been 19 at the time when he started. Still pretty young. Still impressive. He wasn't like a prodigy or something. No. That would have been about the time I almost got Monkey Boy, my cartoon, into the Sacramento Bee. Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of 19-year-olds who are pretty amazing artists. Mm -hmm. It's not that weird. And he is an amazing artist. He's really good. I'll show you some of his uh, stuff. Ripley eventually moved to New York City to work for the New York Globe. It was in New York that Ripley changed his name. He swapped the order of his first and middle name. I guess he preferred Robert over Leroy. Mm. It's branding. We've talked about it in the past. Yeah. So he became Robert Leroy Ripley. That does have a better ring to it. He also took up competitive handball, became a distinguished handball player. I didn't know handball was such a big deal. Remember playing handball as a kid against a wall? Well, yeah, but it had the big, like, katang, katang ball, not like a little, I'm assuming you mean like a racquetball. Yeah, it looks like a mixture of, like, racquetball and handball, but Mm. I was a pretty good handball player. Not as good as uh, Ripley. He eventually won a championship, a city championship, and then, like, moved on to state. I think he was a national champion at one point. Uh, he then bought a new wardrobe to sort of complete his personal reinvention, Zero to Hero Makeover. It was like a, one of those movies. Hmm. It was like he took his glasses off and then all of a sudden he was hot. With Bucky. 
Still had the fucked up dude. <laughs> <laughs> so now he was enjoying his life as a bachelor in the big city. But the problem with being a sports cartoonist is that athletics is a very narrow artistic subject. Hmm. And all of the popular sports have off seasons. So he often found himself scrambling to come up with content for his cartoons. Right. I guess when, I don't know what handball season is, but I guess not when it's raining. I mean, there are walls inside, bro. Y- yeah, you probably played indoors. Yeah. We always played outdoors against yeah. a, like a brick wall. Mm-hmm. And Foursquare. Did you ever play Foursquare? I, I played all of these games not well, so I didn't play for very long. I was a monster at Foursquare. Mm. If there was a Foursquare championship, I, you know, it feels like all these games had their heyday before I was born. Mm. And I could have been like a Foursquare champion if that was still a thing. And I missed my window. Me, me senses old man shakes fist at sky. <laughs> also kickball. Uh, I was yeah, really good at kickball. I also was not so good at kickball. I could kick the shit out of that ball, but I couldn't do anything else. Yeah, the big it was that big ball, and it would just bounce off your chest sometimes. That would happen to me occasionally. It was pretty My face. Oh, <laughs> that is worse. But yeah. Okay, I understand now. <laughs> so I don't play sports now. So Ripley often found himself scrambling to come up with content for his cartoons. Mm. Eventually, he began brainstorming different ideas to fill up space. He finally came up with a concept for a brand new segment that he called Champs and Chumps. It was a rectangular section in the middle of the newspaper page made up of 11 drawings. Each of them illustrated some particular oddity of the sporting world. So, for instance, one of the figures in the first and only Champs and Chumps cartoon was a guy running backwards, and scrawled next to it, it says, uh, A. Forrester of Toronto ran 100 yards backwards in 14 seconds. Hmm. And then above that, there was a sketch of two guys lashed together next to the caption, W. Willman and Lawson Robertson did 100 yards in 11 seconds in a three-legged race. Hmm. Seems good. I don't know. I don't know if that's fast for a three-legged race, but... (laughs) Never timed one. Don't know. So the random sports facts cartoon, it was not an immediate sensation. Seems to have been something he threw together at the last minute just to make his deadline. Mm. And in fact, it would be 10 months before he again resorted to sports trivia to fill space. So it wasn't, you know, some light bulb moment and, and, and lightning struck and chorus of angels or something. It wasn't a... Ripley, you should draw cartoons about trivia. Yeah, the clouds didn't part. It wasn't, I don't think there was a piercing beam of light or anything. Mm. However, even though his second random facts cartoon followed the same format as the first, it was not called Champs and Chumps. This one was titled Believe It or Not. Mm. And it included a bunch of supposedly shocking sports facts that I do not mostly understand at all. I'm kind of a sports guy, Mm. but uh, I think the lingo was different back in the day. Mm -hmm. I also think the average reader cared about different sports. I don't know anything about playing pool so it says uh, from one of the illustrations of a guy playing pool quote jack schaefer ran three thousand points straight rail billiards okay it seems like a lot of points that's a lot of points on a single rail i don't know what the fuck that means or maybe the goal is to get very few points and three thousand is not many points yeah i have no idea you illustrated i know nothing about this guy was an absolute fuck up in pool (laughs) well no i mean maybe that was a good thing that Mm. like you know like there are sports where getting uh, the least amount of points is what you're trying to do. Right, but he didn't. He got 3,000. So, But maybe mm-hmm. an average score was like 10,000, and he uh, did really well, and he got like 3,000. My point is, we know nothing. <laughs> but I guess it made sense to sports fans of the day, and it was reasonably popular. Again, not an instant sensation. Hmm. These Believe It or Nots were very sporadic in the beginning. Ripley produced one every few months, just presumably when he was out of ideas. Hmm. His contributions to the sporting sections of newspapers became increasingly popular. He would often write accompanying articles as well. So he was moderately successful, but his big break was on the horizon. 
10 years into his newspaper career, Ripley got an amazing opportunity when he was sent by his editors on an ocean liner called the Laconia to document its voyage around the world. Huh. For a millisecond, I thought you were going to say the Titanic. I was like, motherfucker. <laughs> That'll be a less amazing opportunity. I mean, I guess I mean, kind of amazing. You lived. <laughs> Clearly, we're talking about you. I mean, even if you didn't, still amazing yeah. for a very you know short time. Yes, it's, it's briefly amazing. This water is amazingly frigid. <laughs> but even today, this would be a mind-boggling adventure. Hmm. And it was made more perilous by the fact that Ripley never learned to swim. So that would who have been a... are these people going on fucking boats who don't know how to swim? I guess, I don't know if that's gutsy or crazy and stupid. That's uh, absolutely stupid. Like, I get going on an airplane and not knowing how to skydive, but, like, going on a boat and not knowing how to swim? Like, come on. I guess that's man. kind of the same thing. I mean, when you get in a plane, like, if it crashes, you're not going to live no matter what. And same thing for Ripley. Plus, they had life jackets, I guess. Mm. The Laconia set sail in 1922 from New York. The itinerary, pretty amazing. It included stops in, and this is just a partial list, Havana, Panama, San Francisco, Honolulu, Yokohama, Hong Kong, Manila, Singapore, Kolkata, Bombay, Alexandria, Naples, Gibraltar. Eventually it went back to New York, and that's not all the places. Those are just the notable ones. I really hope those weren't in order, because that seems like there's going a lot of back and forth and out of your way. So Ripley's job was to write and illustrate columns describing the experiences as he went. It's a pretty sweet job. Seriously. It's basically like a travel blog. I mean, it was, yeah, it was the first travel blog, but it was also, you know, you're getting paid to essentially bullshit your work. Ah, Havana's beautiful, and so are the women, and yay, rum. I'm done. That's how some of it went, for sure. That's kind of how some of it sounds. Some of it was a little more in-depth. We'll get into it. Hmm. It was called Ramble Around the World with Ripley. That was the name of the column. And there were some very beautiful sketches and illustrations alongside some horrifically racist and insensitive text. Lovely. Of one of the neighborhoods in Shanghai, Ripley wrote, quote, Surely there is no lower form of life to be found than in this decayed old poverty-stricken spot. Beggars who looked scarcely human in their bundles of rags. Lepers exposed their sores as mute pleadings for charity. Crawling cripples with twisted limbs extended their scrawny hands for alms. An altogether gruesome sight. One of the good god's unfortunates was strapped to a board as both hands and feet had been eaten away by leprosy. I tried to avoid him, but another dirty beggar picked up one end of the board and dragged the poor wretch bumping along after me. It is not pleasant to be chased by a thing like that, unquote. Hmm. That's uh, sensitive, empathetic, and genuinely something I would put in a newspaper. It's, I guess it's honest, you know. It's He's like, got that going for him. It's like, I did not enjoy the experience one iota. Because these people were really dirty and diseased, and they almost touched me. It was pretty gross. So what you're saying is, a racist isn't a bad person. They're just unfailingly honest. In this section, I guess it wasn't super racist. It was just, you know, mean. Yeah. yeah. Unfeeling and bastardly. It'll get a little more racist. He he, Sweet. he was a little more open-minded, I guess, than your average person. And as we shall see... He did take pains to undercut some of the stereotypes about mm. foreigners and foreign lands. For instance, his overall impression of Shanghai was more charitable. He wrote, uh, it is, quote, hardly a Chinese city. It is more than that. It is one of those interesting and cosmopolitan places in the world, unquote. That was very backhanded racism. <laughs> yes. Hardly a Chinese city. Come on now. It's far better than that. It's not your standard filthy Chinese <laughs> shithole. <laughs> Still a compliment, though. Yeah, I mean, sure. Kind, kind of. Kind of. You can hardly notice your limp, madam. <laughs> Jesus. 
Regardless, the stories captivated readers. Ripley included sketches of beautiful women in Hawaii offering flower necklaces and men riding elephants in Burma, which is now Myanmar. Uh, you can almost feel the excitement vibrating from the page when he writes in giant block letters, quote, We see our first Hindu with the word Hindu underlined, followed by his turban is 30 feet long, and then a not super flattering sketch of a bearded man with a large turban. I have no idea how accurate if it was actually a 30-foot-long turban. I don't think Ripley knows that either. I think he, he estimated. Well, yeah, I mean, it's also wound cloth, so it could be. It just wouldn't appear that way. I'm pretty sure the guy didn't unroll it for him to, to yeah. measure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> India, in particular, was one of the places that clearly blew Ripley's mind. He included breathless descriptions of Hindu religious figures like Kali, the patron goddess of Calcutta, quote, a black figure with four arms, three red eyes, a long scarlet tongue, a necklace of human skulls, and no legs. The Hindus worship such as this, exclamation point, unquote. Hmm. The drawing for that one is actually pretty sad. It's, it's not his best. Mm. I'll put it in the Discord. It's, <laughs> let me show you. Don't, uh, don't judge him by this one. He, he's, like I said, he's a good artist. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that looks like the world's most satanic giraffe with four arms. <laughs> looks like a fan or something wearing a necktie. I don't yeah. know what I'm staring at here. <laughs> this is also, I mean, I, could, I feel like I could do better than that. I'm no artist. I am absolutely certain I could do better than you that. You could definitely do better than that. Yeah. I'll show you some of his other drawings, though. I, th- I think he's really good. He reminds me of, and we'll talk about this, he reminds me a lot of, who did the Dark Knight? Oh. Miller? Uh, Miller, yeah, Henry, yeah. His use of shadow is very dramatic. It's it's a lot like Frank Miller. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, that's kind of badass, actually. What yeah. What's he done, sir? Yeah, so this is the human pincushion. I'll post these in the Discord. Oh, wow. Okay. That's cool. Yeah, he was legit. So Ripley was blown away by what he considered to be the strangeness of India, in particular. The untouchables, the yogis, religious ceremonies that to him seemed completely incomprehensible. Mm. Quote, never in the wildest, rarin, buckin' nightmare could such a sight as these surroundings be imagined. I never saw such a weird, unusual, and motley mob. Religious ascetics sit in twisted postures in mystic contemplation. Yogis squat about in front of fires which fill the place with smoke. A fanatic lies on his bed of spikes in the corner. Another is crawling on the ground like a worm. Still another with wild yellow hair and face painted white sits looking up at the sun. Nearby, the pavements are running red with blood. The crying of young goats that are being offered in sacrifice fills the air as the bespattered Hindu lops off their heads with a huge knife. He did not include an illustration of that uh, portion. Thank you. That is a horror movie. Lame. I want to see Ripley's Believe It or Goat Head. <laughs> he did give at least some credit to India where it was due, calling the Taj Mahal an unsurpassed monument of beauty and human devotion. Hmm. He was very impressed with a, a nice building. He liked it. He liked a nice building. Yeah, he's all four buildings, less people. Yeah, he finds it amazing that these savages can build stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. When he returned from his journey, Ripley's mind had been expanded, and he was not content to go back to drawing sketches of napping first basemen and dudes who were really good at playing pool. So he expanded his Believe It or Not cartoon series, now including more sketches from his travels alongside the boxers and high jumpers. Soon, the images of Burmese girls with 14-inch necks that they had gradually extended via expanding stacks of metal rings, those started to overshadow the tiny sketches of athletes. It was a gradual transition. Hmm. The cartoons proved so popular that Simon & Schuster offered him the opportunity to publish a book of his cartoons, which he initially rejected. He saw himself strictly as a newspaper illustrator. 
But that all changed after Charles Lindbergh achieved what was publicized as the first solo flight across the Atlantic, a journey we covered in our Crimes of the Century episode. Right. As a response, Ripley published a cartoon that seemed to undermine Lindbergh's achievement. It included the large statement in block letters, quote, Lindbergh was the 67th man to make a nonstop flight over the Atlantic Ocean, unquote. Oh. Fighting words. Seriously, throwing some massive shade there. People were unthrilled. Yeah. The reaction was swift and vicious. Ripley was accused of being un-American and a liar and a traitor. He subsequently published an explanation. Uh, while it was true that Lindbergh had achieved the first solo nonstop flight over the Atlantic Ocean, at least a couple of dirigibles filled with passengers and some airplanes with more than one pilot or crew member had flown it as well. So Ripley was proved right on a technicality. This strikes me as a sneaky neckbeard moment. Yeah, it feels very much like trolling in the, you know, 1900s. The cartoon equivalent of actually. (laughs) But you know what they say, no publicity is bad publicity. Mm. So it got a lot of eyeballs on the cartoon. And I guess people were like, you got me or something. Mm. Or they were like, fuck you. (laughs) I know you think some people might have been pissed, but I guess it worked out. Uh, Ripley continued publishing cartoons that undermined and questioned conventional wisdom with clickbaity headlines like, quote, St. Patrick was neither a Catholic, a saint, nor an Irishman, and his name was not Patrick, hmm. unquote. That is true, by the way. He was Roman British, and his real name was Maywin Sukat. Hmm. I'm glad they turned it to Patrick. I don't want to say that every time. <laughs> you can understand why hmm. they went with Patrick. Maywin Supak, huh? Eh, we're calling you Patrick. Sukat. Whatever. Ripley's already relatively recognizable cartoon exploded in popularity, and Ripley finally agreed to publish a book. Hmm. It was a smash hit, and deservedly so. Uh, Before the internet, before commercial air travel, you know, how was the regular person in America going to find out about the Chinese priest in Shanghai who spent 27 years growing his fingernails, and they measured 22 and 3 quarter inches long? And many of the illustrations are genuinely gorgeous. It's, uh, this book is pretty cool, actually. I imagine it's a major collector's item at this point. Hmm. Whatever you want to say about Ripley, and pretty soon you might have a few choice words to say, Mm -hmm. he was a real artist. Okay. So the success of the Believe It or Not book prompted newspaper titan William Randolph Hearst to offer Ripley a $100,000 per year contract, 10 times his salary at the time. Mm -hmm. And that was 1929 money. So, you know, not bad for a cartoonist. Yeah, Jesus. Ripley expanded the scope of his cartoon to include what he called curiosities anything weird or out of the ordinary, Hmm. some of which were genuinely impressive and others, you know, less. (laughs) Can't make them all bangers, man. Come on. Some of them are cool. The tree climbing fish of the Dutch West Indies. That's that's pretty neat. Mm -hmm. Uh, Johnny Cigars of Roxbury, Massachusetts, who could smoke six cigars at one time or the tree trunk near Monterey, California, shaped like a pig. Not quite as mind blown. No. Johnny Cigars is just a guy with a bad habit. That's not that's not a climbing fish. No. I don't want to hear about the guy who bit his nails down to the bone. I don't give a shit. You got a bad habit, man. Stop doing that. That uh, guy with the 23-inch uh, nails bit him down to the bone. That's a, that's a meal. <laughs> that's a trip to the fucking ER, bro. <laughs> yeah, it's not a meal I want. But... No. So according to author Melissa Pritchard, Ripley would say, quote, There is an infinity of strangeness in the world that will never run out. It's inexhaustible. I think he felt that he was barely scratching the surface of it, unquote. I would agree. To drum up more content, the Hearst newspapers initiated a Believe It or Not contest in which readers could submit their own suggestions for Ripley's comic. Hmm. So now you had Ripley publishing cartoons like Max H. Calvin of Brooklyn can put 25 quarters in his ear. 
you discover that little gem? It was one of maybe his uncle had played done the pull a quarter out of your ear thing. Yeah. And the guy was like, Well, there's obviously space in there. <laughs> I want to see how many I can fit. There's a human piggy bank. Yes. His skull is quite empty, but it rattles nicely. It all seems pretty ridiculous to me, but the cartoon has been described as a celebration of the underdog. It was a chance for people who had one little unique feature that no one else cared about to be celebrated, unironically, for a, you know, little talent or a minor point of uniqueness. Hmm. One of my favorite Ripley's, believe it or not, curiosities, the fact that there was once a ham seller named Sam Heller. (laughs) (laughs) All right, fair. This is so pointless. Yeah. But like, yeah, it's funny. funny. I like it. So, flush with cash and bankrolled by the Hearst Newspaper Company, Ripley became a globe-trotting adventurer, visiting over 200 of the 230 countries that were recognized at the time, cataloging more and more of his curiosities. He didn't stick to only cartoons. He also videotaped much of his journey. Hmm. His relationship with the truth is complicated. Ripley seems to have delighted in research and facts and correcting misconceptions, but he also contributed to plenty of them. Hmm. So, even though he was exposing Americans to more and more of the world... He really focused on weirdness and stereotypes and oddities that emphasize the otherness of the cultures he visited rather than the similarities. Mm. And of course, the blatant racism continued to be uh, pretty cringe. Mm. The previously referenced Great Wall cartoon included a random scribble in the corner that said, quote, can a Chinaman whistle? Answer next Sunday, unquote. Wow. And of course, referred to Chinese people as the heathen Chinese. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Not uh, woke. No, no. I wouldn't even call that basically human statement. Like, fuck you, dude. You've traveled enough. You haven't seen enough spiritualism and random shit all over the world. Just be like, yeah, that's everywhere. We're weird. He never even bothered to learn another language. Hmm. Uh, according to the excellent PBS American Experience documentary about Ripley, quote, he boasted that he wanted to go to places and just speak English louder if people couldn't understand him, unquote. Wow. So he's your annoying uncle. He was the stereotypical, shitty, loud American tourist. Right. You might wonder how a man who seems a bit like an ignorant, stereotypical American jackass was managing to coordinate these travels and dig up all these facts. Well, Ripley had a secret weapon. He had a collaborator, a research assistant, who in reality was the brains of the operation. Hmm. His name was Norbert Perlroth. And he was a brilliant researcher who spent countless hours in the New York Public Library digging up interesting facts and unique locations for Ripley to pretend to stumble across and Mm. discover. (laughs) I'm just picturing this dude like, you know, the pearls before swine. He's just sort of throwing down facts at his feet. Here, stupid, look down. Yeah, where Ripley didn't even bother learning a single additional language, Norbert reportedly spoke over a dozen. He worked full-time as a library researcher, contributing to and often conceiving of the cartoons that would make Ripley famous, uh, though he was never credited in any of the publications. Ouch. That may be one of the worst things about Ripley. That's pretty shitty. That's fucked. By the 1930s, Ripley's Believe It or Not had gone multimedia. Hmm. Produced by Warner Brothers Studio, short videos of Ripley's various travels and so-called discoveries would play before feature films at the time. Hmm. They are awkward AF. (laughs) Ripley is not a natural performer. Hmm. The uncomfortable stiffness, stilted speech, and his teeth are on full display. Hmm. In an example of what seems to be Bass Ackward's order, Ripley's video shorts led to a successful career in radio. Wow. That is Bass Ackward's. I guess that actually makes total sense. Like, once they saw his face, they were just like, kid, you got a face for radio. radio. (laughs) 
<laughs> and that's where we get that saying from, ladies and gents. He had the teeth for radio. Yeah, he did. Ripley pioneered the field of on-location radio broadcasting, bringing listeners to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, to caves and shark tanks. He hosted one of his shows underwater. Uh, he did not hesitate to occasionally put himself in danger for the benefit of the show and the delight of the audience. <laughs> what you mean is his research dude didn't hesitate to put him in fucking nature. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, really? I didn't get any credit? Really? Yeah. Enjoy this shark tank, fuckhead. Yeah. These were attempted homicides. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that guy did not appreciate getting zero credit. Exactly. He's like, really? <laughs> Have you ever thought about the weird shit around a volcano? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so Ripley quickly became one of the most recognizable figures in America. At one point, a survey of young boys revealed that more of them would prefer to grow up to be Robert Ripley than a famous baseball player or president of the United States. I think that's cool. I think that's a shitty way to get to a good outcome. I'd prefer people to be more interested in the world around them and just traveling and shit like that than being into sports. But, yeah, you know. and interesting facts. If more people are into interesting facts, hey, doesn't hurt for our show. Not even a little. Yeah. So Ripley and his fucked up grill even became a ladies man, uh, publicly dating models and actresses. I'm going to say my tagline now. Ready? The hell you say? <laughs> Probably didn't hurt that he was one of the few people thriving in the depths of the Depression. I'm sure that contributed. Yeah. Oh, you have food? I will fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> he built a giant mansion on his own personal island in Memoronic, upstate New York. I hope that's how you say it. Otherwise, it sounds like Booby Island. That's the only <laughs> thing I thought of when you said that. He nicknamed it uh, Believe It or Not Island. Hmm. It's not a stretch. No. It was alternately known by its acronym Bion, believe it or not. God. Which reminds me of Bionic from Pump Up the Volume, where believe it or not, I care. And like so many weirdos with money, Ripley indulged in all of the weirdness that his money could buy. Sweet. He had a particular fascination with Chinese culture. It was more like a fetish. Hmm. And he liked to surround himself with all manner of caricatures and stereotypes. He would dress in what he considered to be traditional Chinese outfits and sail his Chinese junk ship and invite his celebrity friends to Chinese-themed dinner parties where he served, I imagine you can guess... Japanese food. McDonald's. Right. <laughs> no, Sushi. Served Chinese food. <laughs> oh, okay. Ripley opened his first museum, which he called the Auditorium, like ODD, Auditorium. Uh, you, you get I, it? I got yeah. it. Yeah. At the Chicago World's Fair of 1933. For some reason, we cannot get away from Chicago World's Fairs. Fucking homes again. This one is different, though. This was not the White City. Mm. Uh, this was the World's Fair celebrating Chicago's centennial. Oh, okay. And everyone was shocked and delighted that Chicago had lasted 100 years. <laughs> and, and they were like, fuck, we need to throw a party. This is, I don't know how much longer we got. <laughs> In the front of the museum were the standard displays and plaques and dioramas, but the back was a full-on freak show. Hmm. Like, literally. It was a carny sideshow, right. basically, yeah. Some of the human exhibits, which is an awful phrase to begin with, included the fireproof man of India, who supposedly could blast a blowtorch into his eyes without injury. I don't know how that worked. <laughs> I want to test it. <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> and the leopard skin man, which was obviously just a guy with a bad case of uh, vitiligo. Mm. The rubber-skinned girl, obviously just another person with an unfortunate skin condition. I believe we talked about them in our, our human superheroes episode, probably that thing with the collagen. There was the human pincushion, which was just a dude with a bunch of piercings. Hmm. One of the most popular attractions was Frida Pushnik, a girl with no arms or legs who was billed as little half girl. Ouch. <sighs> That's rough. That is just, Jesus. Uh, to be fair, 
To be fair. Ripley bristled at any mention of the word freak show, insisting that everyone use the term oddity instead. So much better. I don't know if that's... How dare you, sir? <laughs> and under pressure, he eventually conceded that an oddity was really just uh, what he said was a high-class freak. Wow. <laughs> it's an interesting choice yeah. of words. It's not a prostitute. She's a call girl. I only employ the most sophisticated of freaks. <laughs> It's nothing classier than a man swallowing a live rat or a guy blowing up balloons with his eyeballs. These were some of his high-class freaks, I guess. Mm. Of course, the World's Fair Museum was yet another massive success, and it would lead to a long-term museum location on Broadway in Manhattan, followed by franchises all across the country. Wow. All right. Fair enough. Some of the stuff in Ripley's human exhibits collection is pretty uncomfortable for me to watch, honestly. Mm. It's, it's a little tough. A woman eating razor blades, uh-huh. a guy slipping metal hooks into his lower eyelids and then pulling carts around with them. Fuck my life. What? A dude who smokes a cigarette through his eye socket. There was well, a lot of eye torture stuff. I don't know what that was all about. Eye socket thing makes sense, but like, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, high class. Jesus. Grievous. When World War II broke out and international travel was restricted, Ripley's cartoons became very patriotic. Hmm. Uh, Believe it or not, facts that were oriented toward the war. Most of them, as far as I can tell, weren't particularly unbelievable. Hmm. Here's one. Uh, Believe it or not, Lieutenant Jack Bradford found a real fox in his foxhole. He killed the animal, unquote. Pretty believable, actually. Sad, but animal took refuge from violent shelling yes. all over the place, and then uh, was murdered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's sadly believable. Kind of wish I didn't know that yeah. that one, honestly. Thanks, Ripley. After the war, uh, Ripley went on a post-war world tour. Uh, seems to have been very eye-opening for him. Hmm. His beloved China, by that point, had been ravaged by the Japanese occupation, and of course, the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki uh, not doing great. Yeah, not so there no more. They had been pulverized by atom bombs. Mm-hmm. And Ripley broadcast one of his episodes live from Hiroshima. Picking up some delightful rads, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to join his freak show, I think. Yeah. <laughs> See the man with his skin falling off his body. Yes. Glowing teeth. By this point, his health was in decline. And I'm sure it wasn't <laughs> improved at all by... Uh, his Hiroshima jaunt, and he seemed to have been profoundly affected by this grim post-war voyage. I think this had a, it took a mental toll as well. Well, yeah, dude, they called it the World War. Why would you want to go wander around, see the new sights, the new sounds, women (laughs) screaming and crying, orphans wandering the streets in London, Germany basically blown to shit. Like, yeah, what, fuck? Why? Freak show indeed. Yeah. Yeah. In 1949, an overweight, aging Ripley hosted his first television show, uh, it was pretty terrible, to be honest. Sweet. He had never become comfortable on camera, and it seems that encroaching senility does not improve one's on-screen persona. I disagree. And who are you? As he was verbally stumbling through the live broadcast of the 13th episode, Ripley experienced a minor heart attack. He slumped over briefly and then seemed to sort of awaken and gather himself just enough to power through. Pretty tough. I'm sorry, I'm just picturing some old, fat, white dude powering down for 15 seconds in the middle of a live broadcast. <laughs> and then someone just hitting the power button, resetting his dumb ass, and he comes back up. So as I was saying, the parrot flies it. They were tougher back in the day. They were built different. Just a little heart flutter. Just a couple palpitations. I'll be fine. Back off. I got this. Who are you? 
Less than a week later, uh, Ripley was dead. All right. Maybe don't brush off the small heart attack. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Cause for concern, kids. Just get that checked out. Yeah. Uh, he was buried next to his parents in Santa Rosa in a cemetery, this is true, called Oddfellows. Fitting. Yeah, fitting. Some final fast facts about Ripley. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peanuts cartoonist Charles Schultz, his first published drawing appeared in a Ripley's Believe It or Not cartoon. Oh, that's cool. No, I don't. I don't like it. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I don't get to have an opinion. Fair enough. <laughs> I never liked that cartoon. I'm Peanuts? Not... Yeah. I mean, it was one of the first, like, really cool long serialized ones like it doesn't have to be good it just you know. not my definition of cool he didn't like snoopy he didn't like it when he fought the red baron i thought that was really funny oh lord anyway that's all i got <laughs> and another abrupt end to a mini episode <laughs> they will Jesus. always be I'm never i know going to ever i'm not going to perfect that and i'm not going to try no i enjoy that it bothers you <laughs> <laughs> see it in your beady little eyes to make these as abrupt and jarring as i can <laughs> <laughs> I dig it. All right. I'm just going to, next time I'm just going to say, done. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. And scene. And scene. All right, folks. You know the deal. I say it er time. Why do I bother? Go to the Instagram. Go to the Discord. And go visit the Patreon. Um, Please, guys, head on over to the Patreon. We need any sort of help you can give. If we can get enough money I can convince Shane to take a little time off work and we can head down to the La Brea Tar Pits and feel up some mammoth bones. You're really fixated on my oily mammoth comment. It it's sticking with me. Just like you're fixated on me massaging that teacher in fourth grade. <laughs> that one's sticking with me. I don't know why you were so into like oily mammoths, but goo. And finally, uh, tell a friend, tell an enemy, slap a teacher in the face with a fish and then say miffy and run off who knows um do anything to get miffy moving out there in perpetuity and with that said as per usual and forever after knowledge is power sleep is overrated